I have to say, I found it very difficult initially when my son was very small, like a few weeks or months old. My husband would talk to him a lot in Hindi and I would feel a little stupid talking to my son <laughs> in German, knowing that, you know, he's not going to respond. <laughs> and I felt like I was talking to myself. <laughs> it took me a lot to get over that and just because he was like, if you're not speaking to him, how is he going to learn how to speak? Hey everyone, welcome back to The Big Blend, the podcast about merging cultures, identity and transmission. This episode's guest is Cindy Brücher-Sharma, a mom transmitting three cultures to her kids, the German, the Indian and the Irish. For those of you who are listening for the first time, you can discover the story behind the podcast in the first episode, The Prologue. Before we start, let me tell you about Cindy. So Cindy grew up in Germany and feels deeply German. She then got a job opportunity in India. She went there and ended up staying for seven years. She met her husband there. They got married and decided to move to Ireland together. There, they had two kids. Today, the kids are five and six years old, and the four of them live in Dublin, in a household where the three cultures, German, Indian, and Irish, hold an important place. Cindy was one of the first Big Blend listeners. Our encounter was serendipitous. She randomly saw a post about the Big Blend that the friend of a friend had commented on and so on. So we got to talking and it just made sense to have her as a guest here. I was super excited to interview her to understand how her and her husband are managing the transmission of three cultures and more specifically three languages, especially that now her kids are older and actually fluently speak the three. Hi, Cindy. Hi. Cindy, I want to start by asking you. Where do you come from? I definitely come from Germany. And how important is Germany to you? I think Germany is still very important. I do feel that my roots are German. I still have German habits and I fit in well with Germans. And I feel like when you drop me in a group of Germans, that that's probably my natural environment. It holds a special place in my heart for sure. How long have you been living outside of Germany? Consecutively, um, about 15 years now. And... Since you feel that much German, how come you don't live there today? I don't think I left Germany because I didn't, I didn't feel at home. I just, you know, I left for work reasons because, you know, there was an opportunity in another country that I couldn't get in my country. So it was more of a pragmatic decision. I need a job. There is a job. I'm going to go and work. If it's Asia, it's Asia. And so I went. Even that decision making is very German. <laughs> <laughs> It does sound very German, yeah. <laughs> so, and then meeting my husband, after me living in Delhi for seven years, when we were considering where could we move, we were looking at Germany, but it is like, it's not that easy if you have a non-European, non-Western country, let's face it, spouse, to move to your own country with your spouse. Um, the German visa rules and paperwork is not that straightforward, unfortunately. And it's also my husband doesn't speak fluent German and I think it would have taken a bit of like a bigger cultural adjustment for him as well, moving to Germany than it was us moving to Ireland because it's still, it is easier. Like Irish people are, um, they're more laid back than Germans. They're very family oriented, which is very similar to Indians as well. There are a lot of parallels between India and Ireland, surprisingly, um, more so than Germany. So it was just for us as a couple, the better choice. Yeah, you kind of found actually a middle way between the two uh, the two countries, kind of. That's true. And I've met someone many years ago and somehow it stuck in my head that she said it's kind of like you're on neutral ground. So nobody has the upper hand 
both of you are strangers. Both of you have to make adjustments and it's nobody who is more comfortable than the other person. So yeah, I guess it is a middle ground. Indians speak very good English, um, but you know, your electrician, your plumber, your taxi driver, and that was before Google Maps came to India, they don't. And they don't even speak Hindi all that well in most cases. So even if you do speak Hindi, it, they don't always understand the foreign accent or they don't, they speak very broken Hindi and I don't get them and they don't get what I'm saying. So, um, you know, in between my husband, he moved to Kabul for one and a half years and he like ordered my groceries over the phone from Kabul, <laughs> from the neighbor, from the neighborhood shop to be delivered to my house because that person couldn't understand me. That was just strange doing an international call to get like a kg tomatoes and onions and vegetables. And so you've lived in India and now you live in Ireland. Does any of the two feel like home today? I've noticed that I call a lot of places home. I'll even, you know, when we stay at a hotel and we go out for a trip and then I'll be like, let's go back home. <laughs> I use home for that too. And I tell my husband when he comes back to Ireland from his business trips, welcome home. And when we go to Germany, I'll say I'm going home and the same for India. So I use it. I use it a lot. I think that's also because I don't, I don't quite know anymore where my home is. It's also to do that my parents moved away from my hometown while I was still in university in Germany. So I don't have, and my grandparents five years ago sold the house um, and moved to a completely different city as well. I don't have family in my hometown left or even in the places I grew up in. So I don't really have that physical home location anymore. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why any place is home. So I, f I find it tough when people ask me, where are you, like, where do you really feel at home? Because it's in so many places right now. It's not one anymore. I just feel my roots deep down are Germany, but you can't even, like, I can't even tell you which place exactly. It's just somewhere there in the vicinity of where my family is located. But I, I don't know both the towns very well that they live in now, um, the majority of my family. And it's, I'm a guest, I'm a visitor. I don't know the streets. There's no emotional connection to them. Um, and when I go to my own hometown, it's become a strange city as well that I feel disconnected with. It's a bit ripped off. It is your hometown, but since you don't have a house there, then you lose the link somehow. Yeah. Okay. But you still go there? I do, but like I've taken my kids, but it's, you, you can't even show them like, you know, this is my bedroom mm. and these are like my old mm -hmm. things because it's packed up in boxes. A lot of it would have already moved to Dublin or you would have discarded some of it because living abroad, you just can't keep everything that you would have maybe kept if you still had that physical location of like your original home. Mm. Would you have liked to still have your, your childhood's house? Yes. Why? But that's that's not my choice to make. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, just to to hold on to it. We were thinking when my grandparents were selling the house, should we buy it? But then buying a house you won't live in, how do you maintain it? And then you again, you know, pragmatic, pragmatically looking at it. That's, <laughs> it's just, it didn't make sense. Yeah, it's a very emotional decision. Yeah, like in India, they would buy, they would never sell their ancestors, as they call it, their ancestors' home. They would keep it. They would lock it up. And they would keep it. And then they would go there once in a while, clean it, you know, spend some time in it. But they would definitely never, ever sell it. And that's what my family did. And I can see, I can see why it's a good thing in India, but it's also, it's different. It's not as expensive doing this in India, keeping a house, paying taxes on it from another country, um, trying to maintain something that may need a lot more effort in Germany than it does in India. 
That's super interesting that they would keep it. They would actually make the decision based on emotions when uh, when here it's more on based on rationale. And I think that's that's a big cultural difference between Germany and India, that Indians are very relationship focused, very family, emotion focused and Germans are very pragmatic and just does it make sense from every perspective and if it doesn't then we're less likely to do it but i feel germans are less driven by emotions and comparisons to india Okay, so you you've moved you've moved around. You went to India today. You're in Ireland, and your family stayed in Germany. So you became multicultural with with time. Is there something you would have liked to change in your education in terms of culture? Is there an advice that you would give your parents? I don't think they ever imagined that I was gonna go abroad at all. Go abroad to stay permanently, marry someone mm. who's completely from a different culture, and have grandchildren that are just very different from how I grew up. But they can see I'm making an effort to include a lot of German cultural elements. But I think it's also interesting to them to see what I keep and what I don't. <laughs> and some of it they agree with and some of them they might take as criticism of how they raised me because I'm just like, I'm discarding it. <laughs> um, when Cindy said that, it made me realize that when you have several cultures in the home, you get to pick and choose what to keep from each. And this means that it actually forces you to look at the way you were raised in a more critical or at least analytical way. It's not always comfortable, but definitely beneficial. So it's, you know, you have to find the middle ground of, of course, we live in Europe. And that means the German way of parenting may have a slight upper hand in because it's closer to Irish. But I, I also think a lot of things have changed. And even the education system in Germany is very different from how like I experienced it or how I remembered it. So I, I don't think my parents could have foreseen that. And like, I also think my If I ever were to have grandchildren, they're probably going to be completely different than um, how I've raised my kids. Okay, so let's dig into that. Um, so you met your husband in India. He's Indian. You got married and then you moved to Ireland and had kids there uh, six and five years ago. So when you were pregnant for the first time, let's talk first about the language. Was it obvious to you which languages you would speak to them, which languages your husband would speak to them? How did you make this decision? I was always clear I want my kids to speak German because... When when I went to school in Germany, we had a lot of kids in my class that had Hungarian and Bulgarian roots. And the one who had Bulgarian roots, he um, his parents spoke to him in Bulgarian. He went to summer to Bulgaria every year, and he was he was very very fluent Bulgarian. And the Hungarian ones. I think one of them spoke a little bit Hungarian, but two of them didn't. And one of them, she like I was friends with her and she would always tell me that she resented Hungarian parent for not teaching her. I do think it was a different time in Germany back then that, you know, people didn't appreciate when kids were raised bilingual or multilingual. And it was a matter of being able to fit into German culture. And I think Ireland is an easier place now. Who knows if I had tried doing this 20 years ago in Ireland, it would have maybe been different and difficult. But, you know, Ireland is very multicultural. It's a very young population because they've, all, you know, they've always had a lot of children. So it's big families, but also the foreigners coming in. It's, it's just very vibrant. And 
open-minded here. So I felt no question about me raising my kids to speak German because I felt, you know, there's this person many, many years ago who told me she really felt that there was a disconnect. You kind of, you miss out. And I, I felt like, okay, yeah, I remember that. That means my kids have to have the language. Yeah, so it, it had to be German. So we, we were speaking to other families and they were saying that, oh, there's this concept, OPOL, one parent, one language. I have to say, I found it very difficult initially when my son was very small, like a few weeks or months old. My husband would talk to him a lot in Hindi and I would feel a little stupid talking to my son in German, <laughs> knowing that, you know, he's not going to respond. Mm -hmm. and I felt like I was talking to myself. <laughs> it took me a lot to get over that and just, because he was like, if you're not speaking to him, how is he going to learn how to speak? So I, I started talking to him, but it felt a lot like, you know, just talking to myself and going out into the, like... To the neighborhood going to the park and just talk, like talking into the brown <laughs> i got over it it was kind of nice speaking your native language um, because i was working in english so getting back to you know nursery rhymes in german and songs in german they connect you to your childhood again so it was a very precious time to be able to get back to that of course their first like our first sons and our second sons first couple of words were english because they started going to crash at one year we just kept at it and then we were making progress over time and then they, they were speaking it and every word was like a little yes we got there um encouraging english as well but never ever speaking to our kids in english just really keeping at it and helping with a little bit of you know words and pointing at things and talking a lot and playing music and um everything we could and d did it become easier once they started answering back or saying a few words in german did it become more natural to you or easier Yes, because you felt like I was paying off. Because initially, a lot of people were telling us in our environment, because we didn't know that many people that had multilingual kids. They had maybe two languages, but not three. So people were like, oh, your, your son is not going to speak anything. It's going to be like a disaster of three languages. And he's not, he's just going to keep shut. He's not going to talk. But he didn't. And um, that just kept us going because we could see it was working. And And that's still what we do. Like our son is turning seven next week, our oldest, and um, he's very fluent. Now, if if I take him to Germany, I can tell a difference. Like his grammar is a little off, some of his vocabulary. Like he won't know certain words because we don't experience them in our day to day. He doesn't really have a dialect. So he doesn't quite sound native, but he's very fluent. He understands a lot. He's able to express himself. He very rarely needs an English word translated into German to complete his sentence. Um, our five-year-old sometimes he was like yesterday he was saying he was conjugating a Hindi word in German <laughs> and that sounded very cute but it was comp obviously completely wrong <laughs> but because because I lived in India for that long I understand the language um, well enough to know that this is what he was trying to say and I think that helps as well because English and German are very close to each other and then of course over the course of now seven years of parenting you do kind of pick up because you keep repeating for kids wash your hands you know put your clothes um, to this side and put her toys away and these things. So um, you keep repeating and then you ask your partner, what does that word mean? What does that phrase mean that you keep saying? You start picking it up. I think I've lost my speaking ability in Hindi, but I definitely understand. I have noticed my kids, they switch to Hindi as their secret language in Germany. I do still understand what they're <laughs> saying, which is helpful. Yeah. So, But it also means it used to be my kids didn't know that they just I don't know, they kind of switched off and my husband and I speak to each other, we speak English. And our oldest, I think it took him five years to realize that we know how to speak English. 
one day he would ask us that, oh, you do speak English. Because <laughs> he had told his teacher that his parents don't speak any English. And I had spoken to his teacher the week before, so his teacher knew I did. And I speak it well enough, so it's not it's not broken or anything. <laughs> but, um, but he did ask me, so if you know how to speak English, why do I have to make this effort with these other two languages? And we told him, because your grandparents don't speak English. That's not entirely true, but... <laughs> But it was kind of because your grandparents don't speak English. I mean, when we go there, you want to be able to speak to them. And you, you know, you know, this cartoon that you like watching that's only available in German or only available in Hindi. It's not entirely true either. <laughs> I think that's the question that every parent dreads at one point. A kid that says, but you understand that other language. Why, why are you speaking to me in this uh, in this language that I don't actually use except with you and with my grandparents? And I think there are a million answers and it's never there isn't one correct one. I think we're very lucky in in that the school is very supportive of it too. I've heard of other schools where kids feel insecure that they speak something else because they want to be part of the bigger group and they don't want to be different. They want to belong. And I, that's one fear I have. Um, I know my kids are, they fall into this third culture group of neither here nor there, not really German, not really Indian, but not really Irish either. I'm afraid that one day my kids will say, I don't have a home Um, it just, we put a lot of effort that they get exposure to all three cultures. So we celebrate all the holidays, all the Irish holidays that everyone celebrates, we celebrate them. Go to St. Patrick's Day, we do Halloween, we do Bridget's Cross, <laughs> you know, um, anything that I can find, I educate myself on what people do. And then we do them at home. Then we do the German holidays, like the ones that I grew up with, the East German ones, um, which are fewer, but there's a German community. And also they go to Saturday German class and their other holidays are mentioned and discussed. And then we, we talk about them at home and sometimes we make decoration for them. And then also we do the Indian holidays and sometimes it's back to back on weekends. It's like <laughs> <Yeah>. Indian <term> and, <laughs> and it, it's, it's, it's like event management. It's a bit busy sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but I don't want them to feel that we're not doing anything Irish because it's not our culture. So we, we do that as well. I want them to feel that they belong here and they have the same experiences as their friends. And so what do you wish that they'll answer to the question, where are you from? I don't mind the answer. I just want them to feel that there's one place. One place. I mean, or maybe maybe it doesn't even have to be one place, but I want them to feel that they belong. That's important. Yeah. So if they tell me it's, you know, Tanzania, I'm happy. Yeah. Because they found a place for themselves where they feel they belong. But what I dread is if they told me that they feel Germany and India is alien to them. I'd feel really sad if that was the case, if they feel like they don't, they can't connect at all. I'd feel like all this effort and it didn't work. I want them to feel like, you know, they can be around Indians and Germans and have some sort of a connection, even if it's slight, that would be enough. Today, how do they feel about the, the three cultures? Did they ever have specific questions about, uh, about their multiculturality? I think they feel special right now because we tell them that it is special and they feel that they're smarter because Irish people are very generous with praise and they tell them, oh, you're so smart speaking three languages and people praise them and they feel a little special about this. And we praise them because we, we don't tell them that you're better than other people. We just tell them that kind of they have access to more culture that they can be involved in 
And the nice thing is in the school that my kids go to there, um, there's a significant share of Indians as well. And I'm very happy about that because they can see other kids that are like them. Cindy's kids came into the frame at one point during our discussion, and they do look half-half, half Indian, half German. So just seeing other kids that physically look like them, and it's not just a very homogenous community that he's around, um, I feel that's that's a great advantage. Like they're very much encouraged to talk about where they come from and where they feel home. And I really liked as well that the school, they had a... They had like a culture day and his class teacher actually emailed me before that week was going to happen of cultural festivities. And he asked me, is there anything that I would like him to pass on in terms of advice of how he should position it? Because actually the kids were supposed to choose a flag to represent their culture. And he was wondering if there was a certain, because there were three in our case, if there's anything that he should know about how we talk about this at home. And I told him that we tell him he's Irish with German and Indian roots, and it's up to him to choose the flag he wants to choose. And he chose the Irish flag. And recently he's told me he's German. So, I mean, it seems a change. <laughs> and, and we're okay with that. We don't put pressure that it's one thing or the other. So apart from the language and the celebrations, are there any more touchy subjects uh, that you've had to make decisions about in the home? And so I'm talking about religion, uh, specific food um, that is done differently in the two countries. So religion. So my husband is Hindu and I grew up without religion. So there's no com there's no competition and no conflict. So in India, when you have children, they automatically are considered to be of the same religion as their father. If you ask me what's the religion of my children, I'll tell you they're Hindu because my husband is Hindu and there's nothing else they could be. It's a very interesting religion in that it doesn't have, um, like Indians will tell you, it's not actually a religion, it's a way of life. So it doesn't have the commandments, it doesn't have the strict rules, but it's kind of every family has its own, you could almost say, interpretation of what they consider is needed. That that fits in quite well with how we parent, because it is really left to us in terms of which holidays do we observe. It doesn't say because you're Hindu, you have to be vegetarian. It doesn't say because you're Hindu, you have to go to the temple on these days or do these things. Hinduism doesn't work like Like that, which which is great for us because that's exactly how we would have done it anyway. We were thinking of having them grow up to be vegetarian, but again, pragmatic choice. They're going to full-time crash and being vegetarian in an European crash is not a small ask, um, just to make sure that your children are receiving nutritious food. So we, we basically raise the kids that you can eat anything you want, but your dad doesn't. We talk about that openly and the kids know that he doesn't eat and they've asked, like, why doesn't he? And we explain, like, he explains why he doesn't. But we've kind of come to the point of saying, which is very unconventional in India, we've, we've come to the point of saying that when they grow up and they want to be vegetarian, they can be, which is a very Western perspective. And so we, we actually, we pushed them a little bit more to like, like I grew up not eating a lot of seafood. So my kids have to try seafood. <laughs> and so we tell them that you need to try it at least once. And if you tell me you don't like it, that's okay. But they do get a lot of exposure food wise as well. And we don't restrict them in you can't eat these certain things because 
your dad doesn't eat them or your mom doesn't like them or not part of German food or Irish food. Or it's kind of um, try everything and then tell us. The way that you're that you're raising your kids, the languages that you're speaking to them, uh, your decisions of what to keep from the culture and what to let go of the culture. How's your larger family uh, taking this? I think we stand out a little bit in both the families in the way we are, but also the way we parent. It's very interesting when you when you marry someone from a different culture. I think your family has as one way of looking at it. But then once you get kids thrown into the mix, I feel in our case, the family is moved closer to us and you suddenly feel, or maybe that's your own pressure. Maybe, maybe that wasn't even them, but it was me feeling like I have to keep them closer. Quick pause. Cindy just said that her family got even closer to her once she had kids. It made me think, in cases like Cindy's, families are the only link to the culture. She lives with an Indian husband in an Irish country. So apart from her and her German friends there, her family is the only source of Germanness that her kids can get. So it's only natural to keep the family even closer once the kids arrive. In-laws are currently staying with us for the summer and um, they can see the kids in their natural habitat. <laughs> and they, I mean, we were in India for five weeks in December and outside of COVID, we would go once a year at least to each of the countries. So they've seen them before, but I think now them seeing the kids here, meeting their friends and seeing the places they typically go to, they understand them a lot better. And they also understand a lot better why we parent the way we parent. And they can see the, the community and the surrounding that we interact with. And I think that helps. It's It can be hard to understand when we are in Germany, why I'm doing certain things differently. But I think when they hear, it makes more sense to them. I think they've come kind of come to the point of, okay, Let them just do it the way they do. The kids seem to turn out fine. <laughs> they do seem to speak the language. They do seem to be polite and um, reason like reasonable kids. So um doesn't seem to be doing that much harm, um, those choices that they're making. So I think they're on board with what we're doing. They don't always understand everything that we do and why we do it. And we try to explain and sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't on both the sides. But they can see it works. And so they don't, in they don't interfere. They give us suggestions. We take them on board, but very much it's us doing our own thing. Okay. What are the most rewarding moments to you after all of this dedication and complexity that you've navigated through? It's, it's small things like when we take them to India or Germany and we kind of like drop them into the deep and like drop them. Last year I took them to a zoo festival. It was like open day and um, they had different stations where you could cycle and do archery and things. And I kind of like left them with those activity leaders. And both the kids were able to talk to this person who had a very strong local dialect in, in her German. And they were able to to manage with that. You know, I didn't have to help. And the same in India when they are around people that they don't usually hear. Because let's face it, when we talk to our kids, there's a certain way we talk and it's probably a simplified version of German or Hindi. So when they're around actual native speakers and they're actually able to navigate on their own, that makes us very happy and that's very rewarding. And then these small things of... You know, when they sit by themselves and suddenly start singing a nursery rhyme that I used to sing as a child. And then you're hard, you know, <laughs> just, you know, you develop yeah. a little bit. Because <laughs> uh, you think it's just, it's very adorable when they do this um, singing like the lantern song or like saying a specific rhyme just out of nowhere, taking you by surprise that they remember this from like two years ago. These small moments, they, they're special. 
And it's very reassuring because today I'm at the stage where I speak Lebanese to my daughter and she doesn't reply yet. And so I feel like there's hope there <laughs> now that I hear your story. I'm like, okay, there is hope. By the way, since then, Luna, my daughter, recognized a few words both in French and Arabic. It's such a huge milestone I had to share. And it did comfort me. It gave me more energy to keep doing what I was doing because I saw that it was actually working. Okay, what is the hardest part of all this? I didn't realize that you have to continuously be at it in terms of building their vocabulary, building their grammar. Now the question is, do we like, how do we teach them reading and writing? Because just speaking is not enough, I feel. We have homework, we have school, we have activities they do. How do we manage this on top without making this pressure and work for us? But but it is it is effort and work. But like it's also where do we get the resources from? And Hindi is Hindi is tough, right? Hindi is not necessarily a language that you can learn because they're they're not learning pure Hindi. They're learning the local Delhi Hindi, which is Hindustani, which is a mix. Right? There's Punjabi in it. There's Urdu in it. There's little bits and pieces of English. So it's not a it's not a book language. It's more of a dialect. It's more of a dialect, really. So you you will find books, but they're in pure Hindi. And um, I have the advantage I'll find them in German. But I mean, you need to find time to sit down with the kids and read books. You need to continuously find new books. You need to find new resources that you can use. So that ongoing effort of searching for content and searching for activities that expose them to German. And even when we go to Germany, it's like... What can we do that we can't do in Ireland that will build their exposure, build their vocabulary? And, you know, it's it's almost like a school trip sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You want to make sure you make the most out of it. And yes, you want a lot of family time too. Um, so that, that I feel is sometimes hard because you want to make sure you give them as much as you can. Because I do feel that English will be their strong, is their strongest language and will always be their strongest language. But I want to give them enough for both the languages. And you want to be able to make it fair, right? Just because German has more resources doesn't mean that the balance should tip towards German and Hindi doesn't get enough. So um, that trying to be fair <laughs> um, without me interfering. Okay, last question. What is the smell of home to you? <laughs> I've been thinking about this one. It's such a difficult question. <laughs> um, and I think it is cinnamon because that's the smell of Christmas for me. And that's childhood. So I would think, yeah, that would be for me, for sure. Thank you so much, Cindy. Thank you very much for asking these questions. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Big Blend. Here's what I'll remember from our discussion. The importance of a childhood home and what happens when it's sold. Is the memory of it enough? But then again, does it make sense to cling to the material past? I have no idea, but there's something about a childhood home or the memory of it that holds a major place in our definition of home. Second, choosing what to transmit is the easy part. Finding resources in your language and continuously enriching the vocabulary of your kids at every stage of their childhood seems like the hard part in all this. It is up to you to find content, so you're almost playing the role of a school on your own. 
And finally, it's sometimes a lot of conscious dedication and work to speak to your kids in a different language than their dominant one. But it does work. If you keep at it, you'll have little victories that will make it all worth it. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Big Blend. If you like what we do, talk about us to your multicultural friends. You can also give us five stars on your podcast app. And if you want to get a glimpse into the newest episodes every month, follow us on Instagram and subscribe to our newsletter on the website, thebigblend.co. Cheers and see you soon.